So today, joining David and I, we warmly welcome Robin to the podcast. Robin knows a thing or two about how to build teams and lead companies. He kicked off his career in finance before quickly moving into leadership positions at Nokia, Autodeck, Noramet, and currently as CEO of Dalary. Dalary is a financial services company, comprises three business areas, wealth management, insurance, and energy. Robin is also a husband, a father, a grandfather, a triathlete, a hunter, and many other things as well. So, Robin, how was that intro, and how are you today? Yeah, I'm fine, thank you. Thank you. Yeah, the intro sounded like a long life, even though I'm still a young man. You are very young. David, we, we also welcome David Goddard today. Hello, I'm lurking here as well. Looking forward to today's chat. Welcome, Robin. Thank you, David. Great stuff. So let's let's get straight into this. So 2020 has been a strange year. Robin, when you look back on this year, what kind of leader have you been? Yeah, I think 2020 has been a quite challenging year from a leadership point of view. If you think that it was early March when we suddenly went into remote working and you have most of your team working remotely. So I think that one of the biggest challenges has been to keep people engaged and also working on strategy and development areas because I think the ongoing business, the day-to-day business has been actually working very effectively in the remote type of working. Our teams meetings are, are quite effective. We, we manage time quite well in those meetings and get things done. But then developing new things and taking the company strategy forward is kind of takes a little bit more effort in this corona situation where you have most of your people working remotely and getting together has been harder. Sure. So that's interesting. So long-term, long-term strategy, long-term thinking has maybe, you've seen more of an impact in that, but the day-to-day meetings and keeping on track seems to be working well. So what kinds of things have you done to try to facilitate the longer-term projects, the strategy, for example? We have arranged quite a lot of strategy sessions, both face-to-face and through Teams and and having remote meetings. But my own experience from this has been that it's important to also, in these times, get your team together in the same room. So, of course, trying to arrange it in a way that it's safe. You need a little bit bigger rooms and bigger space for for arranging meetings like that. But that has been working quite well. and, And we have also been able, together with our board, to have two sessions during these times where we have got together also with our board members and the management to to work on the strategies. So I'm quite happy with that. Despite the corona situation, we've been able to also take the strategy quite a bit forward. David Goddard, how are you doing today and what have you heard so far? Pretty interesting observation that the day-to-day is going as well or even better than usual. So people are are doing stuff and they're implementing the strategy, but getting them to lift their heads up and look forward is more emotional activity. And that is better handled when we're face-to-face. Nick, where do you think that we should go next? Well, Robin's got so much experience. He's also a very calm leader. So right now, he's sitting there in his office, looking, looks very, always looks very smart and sharp. How do you stay so calm? I think it has to do with mileage and experience. I have not always been this calm. And when I was younger, I was maybe a little bit more tempered. 
I think this has to do with mileage and working experience. If you have 30 years of experience, you've been in many different industries, you've seen ups and downs, and you've been part of ups and downs and having to deal with that. Then you put things in perspective. So it, it, I, I don't react. I, I, I can I, I try to try also not to overreact to small things and try to keep the, the big picture in mind. So I think this helps a lot with also staying calm and, and dealing with things, not emotionally, but more from a you know, fact-based or ex- experience-based way. You do look very calm there. And even behind you, the, there's a windmill behind you, and that looks calm too. But can you tell us, why have you got a windmill in your office? This is one of the things that if we think about, or if we talk about Thaleri a little bit, so Thaleri, as, as Nick said, we are in different businesses, wealth management, we have insurance and we have energy. So energy is definitely the areas which is our differentiating factor. So if you compare Thaleri to other wealth managers, energy and, and impact investment, this is our spearhead. This is where we are differentiating from the others. And it's not only that we invest in uh, renewable energy, but we actually develop, we build it, we operate it, we maintain it. So we are actually end-to-end. So we have a lot of engineers. For being a wealth manager and financial company, we have 15 engineers in our renewable energy team. And and they actually develop and build these wind farms and uh, solar farms, and they operate them. And that's actually quite unique. So we have, for being not being the largest company in this business in Europe, we, we have actually one of the strongest teams in our renewable energy. So we have 30 people all together working in our energy team. When we talk about impact investment, we, we really look at how, what are we doing to create a positive impact on, on the environment or on the society at large. And of course, it doesn't mean that we give away the returns. So we also deliver good returns to the investors, to our customers on based on these investments. So this is definitely an area and impact investment as a whole, if we talk about the market, this is the fastest growing investment category in the world at the moment. With impact investments, you have to invest in something which creates new impact. So either building a you know new wind farm or, or solar park or other renewable energy, so creating something which reduces, for example, the CO2 emissions in the world. So this is where we are putting a lot of focus. And I, I think this will be continue to grow much faster as the whole investment market. So as the ESG market grows, what differences are you seeing in your relationship with investors? Are they getting more demanding, more questioning in what's the real impact, where their funds are going? There's a big change that is happening. And we did a survey last year in Finland in large together with Talostutkimus. And we were asking investors, what's the most important factors for investment decisions? Yes, of course, 53% still said that the return. But surprising, even for us, which have been a, a pioneer in sustainable and impact investment, was that 47% put as the next most important was sustainability and impact. And we see this with the younger generations. We have customers, family offices and others where we already engage with maybe three different generations of the same family. And it's very 
clear that you see already huge difference there that the older generation, they are maybe in the 70s, then the mid-generation is they are in the 40s, 50s, and then you have the next generation coming in there uh, in their 20s. And for them, sustainability and impact is already so important that if you would make the same survey among the, the people in their 20s and 30s, you will probably get 70-80% that says that sustainability is the most important thing. And I think this will change the whole industry as we go forward as well. It's amazing that sustainability is almost on a par. Yeah, and that's when you take it across all the age population in the survey. And there was around 2,000 people that participated. So this was already a big enough sample to give a good impression of, the, of how the distribution goes. That's really interesting. Robin, before we hit record, I think we discussed the Paris Accord. How much help, support are you getting from let's say, the Finnish government? I think now all the European governments are very committed to global warming and to reduce the global warming and to try to stick to the two, two centigrade global warming target that was set in the Paris Accord. But we are still, I think the actions that are in place at the moment, unfortunately, will not keep us at that two centigrade. We are somewhere between three and four which means that a lot more needs to be done. And there was an estimate that only on European level, there would be need to be around 700 billion euros invested per year over the next 10 years to be able to get to that two centigrade. And we are not in that pace, but that means also that there's a lot of investment opportunities, but we need a lot of commitment, of course, from the governments and also government spending but government spending alone is not enough. So you need to be able to attract private money and private capital into these kind of investments and projects. One of the things that I wanted to ask you today, how do you go about putting your leadership team together? Where do you start? First, you have to have a clear strategy. And when strategy is clear, then you can think about how do you organize it? How do you organize the company in the best way to support for the strategy to go forward. Don't build the team first and then try to fit the strategy or the tasks to the people, but look at the, the strategy, what should be the organizational setup to, to support it, and then look at the right people to actually fit into that. And I think that uh, very important is, of course, that you, the, the team is united behind the strategy. The old saying, team together, team apart, is, is important that you, we can argue and we should argue within the management team and we can have hefty debates. But when we have decided on something, then it's really important that everybody stands behind it. And when, when we then go to our own teams, we represent the management team and, and, and we are united behind the decisions that have been made. It reminds me of, I think it was in, Intel used to have that mantra of disagree and commit. So start the strategy, think about how the organization needs to be set up for that to reach those strategic goals and then find the right people. Yeah, and many times I have taken over jobs where I inherit the team and then start to need to look that, okay, is there needs for change? But I normally 
try to take enough time to first clarify the strategy and then see that is there needs to make changes in the team or the structure to make sure that we are effective in executing the strategy and taking it forward. So not to rush with decisions, I think it's a learning, even though we are living in a fast changing world, but still not rushing with decisions. That's maybe something that over the years I have learned and, and as I have also changed industry several times starting in banking, then going to telecoms, then going to mining industry, then going to civil construction industry, and then going back to finance and wealth management and, and renewable energy. I have learned a lot that what it requires in a way to take the courage of changing industry or jumping from one industry to another. Commonalities are in leadership, the commonalities are there. It's, it's not so different, but of course, you need to understand the business before you jump into conclusions. You, you need to also learn enough about the industry and the products and the customers and the ecosystem and the, the whole kind of value chains before you can make the right decisions. Excellent. Some rich content there, David. And some good advice. Absolutely. So structure follows strategy, and then you build the team around that. Uh, it sounds very simple. Tylery has grown rapidly. Where have been the pressure points then in that story of rapid growth? A clear strategy, you build a structure around that, and then you put your teams together, the right mindset, competencies to implement. But how does that work when you're under that pressure of so quickly growing? Well, of course, I have not been long with the company, so I've been only CEO for a little bit more than one and a half year. My predecessor, who is now the chairman of the board, so he was the four founder together with another gentleman. And they, of course, built the company and established it. And one secret behind the fast growth was that Tallery was a very opportunistic company. And it worked well. And uh, that strategy worked well for growing fast. But, but in the end, of course, it also means that you get a fairly wide portfolio of things, which is difficult to scale up and to manage later on. And now we need to take a much more focused view of which are the things that we are doing well, where we can scale up, which really we can copy paste and grow. Is that about making lots of small bets early? Yeah, but that was the success. That was, that was how the company were able to grow very quickly because they were making a big number of small bets that then played out and grew. But then... That means also that you get a very wide portfolio of, of a lot of smaller deals and smaller size of products. And so now we are really at that stage where we, we want to make bigger bets, but we have enough knowledge behind us that we know that we can also probably make the right decisions because we, we have been involved in many industries and many type of investments for a long time. As well as knowledge and experience in making those decisions, what part does artificial intelligence and technology play today? Of course, it plays a lot of importance. And we have launched recently a digital platform for wealth management. So you can, even small investors can become our customers now with the, where they, through the digital platform, they actually get the full width of 
wealth management services, but it all happens digitally. But they, they have access to exactly the same information as the larger customers who have own personal banker who takes care of their portfolio. So you can get this same service now through the digital platform. And that's also quite unique and a new offering in the industry. This, this enables, of course, young people to, and who, who are starting with a few thousands to already have access to the same kind of rich uh, service and portfolio and know-how, knowledge to support the, the you know, investment decisions. And it's cost efficient. Yeah, indeed. Talking about that 47% that you meant, the figure you mentioned earlier, Robin, the, the 47% who were focused on sustainability. Yeah. And then you think like normally these kind of private equity funds or private asset funds, they, are, they have been in the past, they've been mainly for professional investors to get access to these kind of investments. And now you can, we can be, we are able to offer that to the large community in a way to, to of investors. So this is really good, David. What I'm hearing today is real competitive advantage from from Tyler's CEO, which is really encouraging. Also, if I can just circle back to a previous point when you were talking about the need now at Tyler to focus, to scale up, to copy paste. I think you use that expression to make bigger bets and right decisions. What are the different skill sets that you need in order to make that happen? We need quite a diverse skill set of things. Of course, we need to have the right experts. I think what I explained already that in the renewable energy side, we don't want to just have financial people who make these things, but to be engaged early enough and develop new wind projects from the start to build them, to operate the whole wind park. And, and maintain it. So I think it's it's a very different skill set than you, you thought, think about earlier, maybe if you think about a wealth management company, all the people would come from the same schools, they would have the same education, the same background. Now we are looking at a very, very diversified type of experience and know-how and background from engineers to to, to people specialized on the ESG reporting type of things. And, and the requirements are increasing all the time, also from the regulator. So we really need to make sure that we have a very diversified background of know-how and knowledge in the company. And I think we are proud of that we have so many engineers as well in our company, which is definitely a, a difference to most of the competitors. <laughs> Certainly. Is. So I guess that diversity delivers more creativity and innovative thinking, different perspectives. Yeah. And I think what, what you also said about artificial intelligence and digitalization and all of that. So it's important that we also on the board of, of the company, we have diversified background of people. And that's important because that's a support then to not only the CEO, but to the management team as well. And that we use different kind of advisors that we work with. So it's more of an ecosystem and, and partners that we engage with that is important. So in the past, companies like us, we were, were probably more self-sufficient in doing things in-house. And now it's more important that you, you have engaged with different players and, and you pull in the right kind of expertise when needed. 
you cannot be an expert in everything yourself. I think that's a big learning. I think that there are so many good and innovative companies out there that it's better to engage with them and do things together than trying to do everything in-house. Very good. Very good. Teamwork, collaboration, partnership. David, what are you hearing? The power of having diversity on the board. I think that is actually still, unfortunately, the reality is in the Nordic countries. I think that diversity stops (laughs) at the board level. We've been fortunate to be able to attract a very good and diverse know-how. We have digitalization, artificial intelligence know-how in the board. We have energy sector know-how in the board, private equity. We have, of course, so quite a lot of different type of know-how, which I think is definitely a strength. Let's imagine that I'm a young investor. It's quite a stretch, but anyway, and I found my way to the digital platform. So when I arrived there, and seeing as I'm a bit young, and I don't have a a vast wealth of knowledge and experience around investing. What should I be thinking about? Where Basically, I'd like you to tell me where I should invest. It will first define your investment profile, what you are looking for in a way, and what's your interest, what kind of risk, are you a risk averse, what's your investment horizon, are you looking for short horizon or long horizon, and also depending on, on your age, if you're young, you're probably you can you you are looking at the more long term investment horizon and, and you you can be willing to take more risk, then it will it, it will ask you a lot of questions which kind of helps to, to profile you so that it can offer you the right type of investment proposal then for how to make what kind of allocation you should make on your investment. So how much do you want to put in renewable energy? How much maybe in, in small cap? Or are you or, or do you use only ETFs and index portfolio when you or what kind of investments? So I think this will be defined. And I think the allocation tool that is built in into this system as well, it's also something quite where we are quite proud of. It's quite unique as well. There's a lot of first-time investors now coming yes. into the scene. Who's the typical first-time investor now? Is he getting younger? or Very much, yeah. I think they are already students. So university students have been a big group that is, is growing. We work together also, Taleri. We work with the, with the Alto University and as well as the Swedish School of Economics. We work with their students. We, we arrange also meetings or webinars for them. So we also, we've been, Tyler has been engaged quite a lot with young people as well to educate and bring the kind of investments and things into the mind of, of young people at an early stage. Because I think the, the earlier you start, the better, because I think if you think about the compound interest kind of theory, you invest for 10 years or 20 years or 30 years, it has a huge impact and, and difference. So even if the amounts are small, I think the, the most important is that you start. Yeah, compound interest is amazing. And it's actually, it's very difficult to conceptualize compound interest. Yes. The, my you know, brain doesn't work that way. I think we've seen the same thing with COVID statistics, that people just don't have an idea of what exponential growth means. Yes, yeah. Because it's, it, the, our brains are not wired to conceive of that. Yeah, 
that takes me to one other area of leadership, which I was thinking of when we think about compound interest or actually the power of multiplying things. If you think that what's the difference between if you have a team that is motivated or if you have a team that is just satisfied or that you have a team which is really enthusiastic. And then if you think that a team that is okay and, and satisfied, how, what's their performance level? Is it one or is it 0 0.8? And then you have a team which is motivated, do they perform at 100 or at 1.2? And if you have an excited team, will they perform at 1.3 or 1.4? Then if you think that you have a team of, of five people and they're all excited, and then you, take, you say that they perform at 1.2, then you take 1.2 times 1.2 times 1.2 times 1.2 and, and then you actually see that fully enthusiastic and motivated team can actually perform twice as much as a just satisfied team. So it's a little bit same as compound interest. You think about that, Nick, you're legendary with numbers. What's, what's 1.2 by 1.2? I know you've been doing that in your head. How many 1.2s was that? Let's say I have a management team of seven people. So if every one of them performs at 1.2 and you take 1.2 times 1.2 times 1.2 times 1.2, so where do you get? A lot. <laughs> that team will perform at two and a half times a team that is just satisfied and performs at one. That's the team that I'm going to invest in. And that's what makes the difference between a high-performing team when it comes to the performance and, and uh, efficiency of a team, of a high performance team compared to a team that only is satisfied and average. So that's super productivity. That's the formula for super productivity. Brilliant. There we go. Cut from compound interest to super productivity. Robin, huge thank yous for today. Any final questions? No, not at the moment. Welcome to become customers of Talleri, either to the digital platform or then you can give me a call. Excellent. Huge thanks for today. Thank you, Nick and David. David Goddard, huge thanks to you too. Thank you. We'll see you next time. Bye-bye. Hey, listener. It's Stefano here. Since you got until here, we think that you might like the podcast. It would mean so much if you could leave us a five-star review and share this with as many of your friends as possible. This will help us be discovered and spread the news. Can you just take five minutes and do that for us? Thank you.